Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Root of the Science podcast with your girl Anne Withany. If you are new here, welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you listening to the show. A usual reminder to follow us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, as well as you can follow on YouTube. Remember that we are available to be listened on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts as well as Google and wherever else you listen to your podcast. Let's get into today's show. In today's episode, we are hosting Enoch Chikava, the Interim Director of Agriculture Development at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. He has extensive experience in agriculture development. Enoch has been involved in shaping strategies to address pressing challenges in global agriculture. His leadership focuses on innovative solutions, sustainability, resilience, particularly in the context of climate change. Listen in as we engage in this conversation about the foundation's initiatives, the impact of ongoing climate patterns and the future for agriculture development in Africa. Let's go. Good morning, Enoch. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Um, good to be on the show. Pleasure, pleasure to have you. So, Enoch, you are the lead agriculture development at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. In fact, you are the interim director. So what exactly does this role entail? So we, our main role is to find solution for smallholder farmers because they constitute the majority of the people in sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. And if we are going to be meeting up with the SDG goals of ending hunger, malnutrition, gender equality, agricultural development becomes very important. So agricultural development is a proven platform of lifting people out of poverty at a large scale. We have seen several waves of that in the different world areas, uh, in Asia, in Europe, and the U.S. in the past 90 to 100 years. We believe it's an opportunity for Africa to do so. Mm -hmm. And that's the work that we do, making sure that we come up with innovations in crops, in livestock, and digital uh, that will benefit the smallholder farmers who produce 80% of oil, the food consumed on the continent. Fantastic. That's pretty amazing. So the foundation is involved with many partners. And in a press release that was out yesterday, um, the Gates Foundation announced that a partnership with the United Arab Emirates uh, to accelerate uh, climate action and strengthen food systems through investment of agricultural innovation. So I wanted to ask you, how does this commitment made by the foundation and the new partner contribute to building resilience among smallholder farmers, um, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa? No, thanks very much. The announcement made um, yesterday has two parts to it. Mm -hmm. uh, firstly, it is to increase funding through a global research partnership called the CGIAR, which has been running for almost 60 years, present in 70 countries in the global south. And they develop crops, livestock, 
and a lot of the uh, farming practices, including agronomy, and particularly those crops uh, that are used as food on the African continent, like cassava, millet, uh, sorghum, sweet potato. So they, they are the right uh, organization that can really help develop innovations for Africa. So that's the first part. So it is to make sure it is adequately funded. Because today it is severely underfunded compared to the role they play, particularly in the global south. The second one, it is to be identifying some innovations that are already proven in the public sector, in the private sector as well, and come up with a partnership that includes the government, uh, civil society, uh, private sector, in order to quicken the scaling of those innovations. Because we have a lot of innovations which are still in the lab or haven't seen the light of the day in farmers' fields. So the second part is to look at how we can accelerate the scaling of those proven innovations through multiple partnerships from governments and private sector across the board. So those two, uh, that's why we have this partnership with the UAE uh, in that $200 million uh, announced, which is a matching 50-50. So this is great news because maybe this is the UAE's first uh, major investment uh, in building resilience. Uh, particularly in Africa and South Asia. Uh, that's so exciting. Um, and I'd like to focus more on these innovations that you've spoken about. So um, would you have examples on some of the innovative technologies or approaches um, that's currently being funded and might be available for scale, for small-scale farmers? And also with this um in particular in the face of the changing uh climate patterns yes i can put that into three buckets yes uh bucket number one would be all the crops innovation these are crops which are already adaptable to the uh, environments in sub-saharan africa and south asia i don't know whether you've been following up here mm -hmm. but actually India did a very uh, the bold position as they've been the uh, takeover the presidents of the G20. They declared 2023 the year of millet. Mm -hmm. And because the millet is adaptable in Asia and Africa. And because it's not one of the main global value chains that we often hear about, we need to focus on those uh, crops which are indigenous, particularly to Africa and South Asia. So, I, you know, those crops like millet, which I mentioned already, uh, crops like cassava, you know, cassava feeds 500 million people in Africa. Mm. But cassava is being considered as an orphan crop or as a minor crop. But how can something that feeds 500 million people be minor? It depends mm. on who defines it. So as a result of it being considered as a minor crop, it has not received any resources in terms of applying science, 
research and innovation for many, many years. Uh, but in the past 15 years, we have funded as the foundation together with other partners, a project called the Next Generation Cassava. And that is use the 21st century uh, tools uh, for research, the genomic selection, uh, to really come up with those traits uh, which are important, particularly for women. And right now, as we speak, after 15 years, we have a new generation of cassava varieties that are yielding more than 100% compared to the current varieties. So all this, the, the science has been done. We now need to take them to scale. Uh, we can also even pick up here like um, a sweet potato. Uh, there's a sweet potato coming out of some of the CG work. Uh, the CIP is actually the center that does that. So they've come up with new sweet potato uh, varieties that have been fortified with vitamin A um, to address some of the silent hunger due to the shortages of micronutrients. So there is a, a long list. Uh, you can go to sorghum. Mm. as well and go to young in west africa so all these innovations in the crops are available today they need to go to scale and we need resources uh government need to be making sure that their policies are aligning and as the governments borrow uh from uh, sovereign loans from the africa development bank and implement their own compacts they can now access these innovations and then take them to scale. In the, in the livestock, that is bucket number two. In the livestock sector, we have innovations in poultry or chicken. We now have the new, uh, chicken varieties is what we call the dual purpose poultry, which is the chicken that can give you eggs and it can gives you, it will also give you meat. But a lot of the indigenous chickens, uh, they will give you, for example, uh, about 40 eggs in 18 months. But if they're already hardy, they are already tolerant to heat, they can scavenge for food, and they can also dodge a lot of their predators and so on. So you take the adaptation that already exists and then improve their productivity through some uh, breeding and crossing. So the dual purpose poultry, we now um, have new breeds that are producing five times more eggs. So from 40 eggs to almost 150 eggs to 200 eggs in the same period, which is the 18 months. And they gain double the weight in half the time, which means you even get more meat, you get more eggs. Mm. And as you know, a lot of the women, they raise chickens. So it is multiple goals. You are, you are increasing the income of the smallholder farmers. You are improving the nutrition and they're also empowering women. So we also have within the livestock sector, some of the dairy then coming up with the more heat tolerant, uh, uh, dairy cows that even as the temperature increases, uh, they will become adaptable. Mm. So we have an array of of uh, the livestock 
uh, breeds that are being improved. You can also get getting into the small ruminants like the goats. So there's a lot, you know, already within the livestock sector. The third bucket is around the, the digital work. Like understanding your soil information is very, very important under conditions of climate change. Um, so we have uh, developed what we call the digital soil mapping capabilities where you can get up to 20 characteristics of your soil. And you are going to be making more uh, informed decisions about what would be the right crops to grow. When you understand your soil moisture, you know also uh, what are the nutrients that are not in the soil so that you can apply your fertilizer more appropriately. So the soil information and understanding the soil health is very, very important. We are using digital innovation for that. But also within the digital space, there is the early warning system. Mm. You know, you need early warning. I know that it won't rain in the next week. I can make decisions today. If I know that there's going to be rust or another disease coming within mm. three days or so, it prepares farmers for action. So early warning for early action. Mm. So the, all these uh, needed uh, tools, which are, you know, enabled digitally. So, mm. so again, just to summarize, we have crops, livestock, and digital innovations that are ready to go. This is absolutely uh, brilliant, uh, Enoch. Uh, but I have a question, further question. So this work is obviously really important, and it's it's work that um, the foundation and partners have been working on. Um, but how... I want us to touch on um, equitable access. How does a farmer, let's say somewhere in um, Malawi, uh, he's been growing maize for a very long time because that's what's commercially available. How does he know that there's uh, we are in the year of um, 2023's declared millet and maybe this is something that it's indigenous and he can it's he should be growing it how does he know that these new crops exist how does he know that there's uh, the digital work that's currently being done how do we make sure that this gets to the people who need this so there's various uh, delivery mechanisms mm -hmm. uh because a lot of these innovations they are uh, global public goods, which means any country can access it. Malawi can access it. Zambia can access it in another country. But you need to also have the country systems that allow the flow of these innovations from where they are developed mm -hmm. to land in, into your own country. So that's okay. why in the uh, partnership, we need to work with the governments. And we call it country-led inclusive agricultural transformation. We cannot care about Malawian farmers more than the Malawian government. Sure. So they have to come up with the policies that will allow the registration of these uh, uh, innovations into their own country, which means their regulatory environment should be allowing. And there's there are a lot of countries doing that already. And then within the country, you need to have your seed system that will allow the flow of this innovation, they say from breeder seed to certified seed and reaching to the farmer. So there's that whole work. And we have an organization on the African continent called AGRA. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard about AGRA. Yes. They're operating in more than 15 countries now. 
and they've been doing that work in terms of policy alignment, making sure that the, the government can prioritize. Let's say for Malawi, we are declaring that, you know, maybe Mille will be the, play, the best uh, value chain for them. That should appear in the, in the Malawian National Agriculture Investment Plan. And then you come up with your value chains. Maybe the Malawi will be doing livestock. Maybe they do millet. Maybe they do cassava. That should be part of the National Agriculture Investment Plan for that country. Mm. And then once you prioritize that, uh, the other way also of informing the farmers is around, you know, coming up with more uh, uh, extension systems that are effective. And I think you understand that on the continent, you know, we don't have very strong uh, uh, investments around the, the extension to farmer ratio. Mm -hmm. And I can give you a few examples here. That the, the current extension system is broken, but we need new innovations. And I think we have already done quite a bit in terms of what called the digital extension. So if you just go to uh, some of the deficiencies we have, which are being solved by the new innovations, the extension officer to farmer ratio in Malawi is one extension officer is responsible for 3,000 farmers. Go to Kenya, one extension officer, uh, almost 5,000 farmers. Nigeria is the worst one. One extension officer, 10,000 farmers. So there's no way one extension officer can reach 3,000 farmers in any mm. season, mm. even if the information is available. So we now are working on the digital extension system. And there are models that are working well, worked with an organization called the Digital Green, originally in uh, India. And then they come up with some of the uh, videos and then they train also a cadre of other non-extension officers. But digital can simplify information. And at times we can have a channel for farmers that have their mobile phones. They can get they can get SMSs that will be telling them, you know, in your own region, maybe millet will be the right commodity, the prices are right. So we are focusing on digital extension as a, a major, uh, uh, you know, form of reaching out to the farmers, which is also another new innovation uh, in that pipeline that I talked about. So mm -hmm. it's a combination of working with the governments, working with the private sector, but also bringing in new innovations like uh, digital that can reach farmers at scale. In some countries, they use farmer groups. Mm. You know, the women come together and then they are learning about new practices as a group. So mm. there are different methods of making sure that we disseminate the information about these innovations to those who need them the most. Mm. Um, so given this idea of collaboration between governments and NGOs and private sector, in your experience so far, how do you assess the current state of collaboration in addressing these agriculture challenges? And I think it's more important now in the context of the changing climate that we're seeing. So there are different levels of doing that. I think the COP is already an example of where, you know, at global level, we need to recognize the importance of that collaboration. Partly, you know, this announcement that we made here, working with the uh, UAE and working with the University of Chicago and mm -hmm. working with many other, you know, organizations. So at a global level, 
we need to show that we can get better results when we collaborate. And then you get to the continental level. Take, for example, within the Africa Union. You know, this past year, the Africa Union has been focusing on how they can ensure food security on the continent. Mm. I'm sure you know that for the past, um, you know, maybe 10 to 15 years, they've been operating under uh, their own strategy. They're called the CADEM. And that CADEM is coming to an end in 2025. And within the CADEM, they have agreed on each country to contribute at least 10% of their budget towards agriculture because of the centrality of agriculture within most of those economies. Mm. Some countries have done well. I know, maybe four countries, they've made that 10%. Many other countries, maybe 50 countries have not. So it is very, very, uh, at a various level. But we are beginning to see also the Africa Union may be creating what they call a food basket, say. Mm. recognizing that you can't be having, say, similar commodities across the whole continent, across the whole continent. So all that, um, the one food basket, which has many collaborators, is the rice import substitution in West Africa within the ECOWAS. 16 countries coming together and coming up with a very bold uh, uh, vision of by 2030, they need to be producing more than 6 million tons to be replacing what they're importing from Asia today. And they're mm. all working across the whole value chain from the seed to the processing and to the distribution of that rice. In that, in that collaborative uh, uh, project, you have the World Bank, you have the, uh, the UK government, Islamic Development Bank, the, the African Development Bank, and we as the foundation, we are also part of that. So we are seeing all these collaborations, global level, as I said, coordinator level, but also it goes all the way down at the country level. And at the country level, like I said before, it must be led by the government. Mm. And there are countries that are doing well. Ethiopia is doing very well. Uh, Rwanda is doing well. Ga Ghana is also making major strides in terms of coming with a clear national plans where collaboration can all rally around. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You know, this has been really informative and it's been great to hear about some of the work that the foundation and partners are doing in and around this issue of agriculture uh, for farmers. Thank you so much for your time. And to everybody that's listening, thank you so much for listening into another episode of the Root of the Sounds podcast with your girl and with an E. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>